Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everyone, Yas here. And I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favor to ask. And that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch, guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that's at The Coaches Net. And please make sure you do as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, one final announcement, guys, before we get to today's show is that I'm delighted to announce that in partnership with Middlesex University, the Amateur Football Alliance, Middlesex and London FA, respectively, that The Coaches Network will be hosting its first live event on Friday, the 1st of April, where I'll be joined by the legendary ex-academy director of West Ham United, Tony Carr. Tony will be joining me to discuss over four decades of youth development with West Ham United and to share some key insights from his upcoming book, which will be released on April 11th. And to top it off, guys, anyone that's an FA licensed coach will also be a credit for two hours of CPD in, for their attendance. And this is all for only £10. It is an evening not to be missed. And to top it off, until the 23rd of March, we have limited early bird tickets for only £7.50 each. So to find out more information or to register your place, please head over to Eventbrite or click the link in today's show notes. And I hope to see you guys there. But enough of my ramble on and on to today's show. The Coaches Network. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas and today I've got a special guest with me. My guest this evening is David Baird. How are you David? Yeah, good Jazz. thanks. Good, very well. Good stuff. Dave, just before we get into the heart of the conversation, um, just give, you know, maybe give an insight around who you are, what you do, and then we can kind of just spin it off from there because I'm pretty sure we're going to have loads of brilliant things to talk about. Yeah, yeah, no worries. So, yeah, name's David Baird. Um, I've got, you know, 16 years coaching experience, hopefully, to, to bring to the discussion. Um, I think something that, I don't want to use the word uh, unique, but not, not too many coaches are like this. Um, my coaching experience is really, really varied. Um, I don't really have a certain passion of, Oh, you know, I want to coach adults one day or I, I want to work in the, the girls game or I like working with kids or um, I've got a real varied experience with loads of different groups, you know, so I, I do visually impaired football, um, I do walking football, the, the majority of our conversation and probably our work probably will be around the younger boys and girls, um, but I just, I just love the game and I think that 16 years experience across different uh, countries, different groups, trying to achieve different outcomes, Will that be um, how do you motivate people to win a game, how do you develop young players just to become individually better, I think it's probably given me a decent overview, and, and of course I'm still learning, but you know, a decent overview of you know, people and how you motivate them and, and how you engage them and the kind of things that might work for six-year-olds that are trying to develop a love for the sport and you know, 15, 16-year-olds that are uh, trying to use football as a vehicle for education or 30-year-old men and women that are trying to win games. 
Um, so that's a wee bit of my background. I'm a kind of UEFA licence holder. I've been coaching for 15, going on 16 years uh, and worked in, I'm currently based in Scotland, um, but I've worked abroad as well. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Just a quick one, you know, obviously you, you talked there about having a range of different experiences in different environments and not really having a specific uh, niche in, in terms of where you want to coach or, or who you want to be working with in that respect. And I think that is quite unique because obviously a lot of people do have that niche, do have a kind of target yeah. for around who they want to work with for whatever reason that might be. You know, whether they want to work in the foundation phase, whether they want to work with you know, senior players or have ambitions to work in the female or male game. Um but let, you know, there is, there's another piece around that that you've kind of, along your 16 years, you've now come to, you know, author your own book. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe just tell us a little bit about that and, you know, where that originated from and, and we can kind of spin off from there. Yeah, so the book originated from, I, I can't believe I'm sitting here with a, a book and a website and an app and a decent follower on social media from what was a really simple idea. Um, so I have a uh, I guess you would just call it a, a session, a practice, you know, a, a drill or, or a small-sided game that I've used for a number of years, you know, five, six, seven years. I, I don't know when I first started using this game, but I found it's really enjoyable, which I always think, you know, first and foremost, football should be enjoyable. I enjoy delivering it as a coach that the groups I work with um, across all those different age groups, ability levels tend to really enjoy it. I think there's loads of benefits from it. Um, and it's been great. And then, you know, we, we know the world went a little bit crazy in, in March 2020. And, you know, I went, went on lockdown and furlough and I couldn't go out there and deliver that game or, or do what I wanted to do. You know, do the thing that I love, which is out coaching and working with different people and meeting different people and bringing the joy um, and the benefits of football to, to the, those that I work with. So I was kind of going a bit crazy in the house. And I decided, well, what I'll do for when we come out of this lockdown and hopefully when we can start getting uh you know, people back on a, a football pitch again, you know, I'll share this this idea that I have, you know, these these small-sided games that I do, the, the players I work with love and, and there's loads of benefits. Long before I had a fancy name and a fancy logo for it, um, but when I was using online platforms such as this and I'll share my screen and I was showing the games, that's when people kind of started to say, you know, what, what, what do you call these games? Ended up settling on the name Scoreboard Soccer. You know, where can I access them? And Again, I feel bad saying this because I know it's been a very difficult year for a few people, but I was lucky enough that I had the time, you know, through the furlough scheme to sit down and uh, type up all the games, create all the games, and put them on, a, as I say, an app and a website. And then through that kind of developing interest and people wanting to learn a little bit more about the specific idea of scoreboard soccer, I was lucky enough someone asked me to put them in a book and, and, and that's out for sale now. The, the book title is just you know, scoreboard soccer, and we can talk about the actual concept um, obviously a little bit a bit deeper later on, but no, I'm just blown away by the, um, I'm really happy that something I see my young players in particular really, really enjoy, that there's potentially players, you know, all over the country and, and further afield that are, are getting the benefit of that as well now. I think you made some great points there, and first of all, congratulations on that, you know, on that, embarking on that journey, and I know that, it, you know, you're right, it has been a difficult time, but, you know, much like yourself, it's an idea, even the podcast that I'm sitting here with having this conversation with you now was an idea that I had for, for a little while before I actually, you know, it was actually the lockdown which kind of, you know, gave me a kick up the backside and said, right, go on. Now you've got, now you've got some time. Yeah. Like, get on with it. So. And I think I was, I think I was really mindful of that as well when um, we were coming out the back of lockdown because you started to hear things like, a lot of children being anxious about coming back to football practice you know maybe the, the teenagers that have uh, I don't know maybe put on a little bit of weight through not being able to go out and being on lockdown and you know this kind of stuff or maybe just some of the younger players that maybe didn't do a lot of training during lockdown and they thought their skills were going to be poor 
And then you started to hear the whispers from obviously our network with a lot of different coaches. You start to see the things of, you know, when they come back, people post on social media, you know, I'm looking for fitness drills. The kids haven't kicked the ball in a year. We need to get them running. You know, we need to do this, that and other thing. And I'm just like, well, hold on a minute. You know, actually all we've been able to do in the last year is run. Exercise was the only thing you're allowed to leave the house for. What these kids have really, really missed is playing with their friends, having fun, kicking a ball and they might be anxious about coming back and they might have developed some home comforts around watching television, playing the PlayStation. And if they come back to your football training and we run them around the pitch um, or we overcoach them because we were really frustrated and as coaches and we're like, come on, what have you been doing for the last year? You need to pass the ball firmer. They might just go back inside. So scoreboard soccer, um, making sure I put that together and got that out there. A lot of what I was sharing, a lot of the accompanying text was, you know, let's make this a positive return to football. Let's play football because that's what they've missed. Small-sided games with their friends. Let's try and change our mindset to, okay, where are they and what have they missed in the last couple of years to, I talk in scoreboard soccer about catching them doing good. It's trying to be a real positive environment. So it's all about praising great dribble, great pass, good communication. And you're not doing that for the sake of it because that's counterintuitive as a coach. You're you're doing it. You're, you're giving praise when it's needed because sometimes as coaches, our mindset is, well, what are they doing wrong and what are they doing badly and how can I fix that? Um, so, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right that, you know, the lockdown was tough, probably particularly for, for younger people and also people that, you know, football was a little bit of an escape for them. You know, maybe being at home wasn't an all-round positive experience and all of a sudden they're getting told that's what they need to do for a full year. Um, and there's plenty of, I spoke earlier about how I do walking football, there's plenty of elderly people that, that actually once or twice a week they come to walk in football and have a cup of tea and a biscuit is the only time they're really engaging with other people. So, yeah, I was quite passionate. They've like, you know, I want to share this idea. I'm really loving the feedback. I'll keep sharing it when the kids come out of lockdown, and particularly young players, let's give them a fun experience. Uh, I think that's brilliant. And one of the key words that you've you know, used it again there, you've used it several times from the beginning of the conversation, is that word fun. So, you know, yeah. you know, I think we can all agree that, you know, the fun is, is, is ultimately a key element to development and you know just engaging them and I think really what you're saying there and what I'm hearing is just let's just make sure they're still, they're still in love with the game yeah before we start with complicating it and making it more complex so I guess you know you talked about having this idea and wanting to get it out to the masses and share it with everyone maybe just give us a bit of a background on terms of your own coaching uh, philosophy I don't, you know, I don't really like using that word too much but you know your own approach yeah. to coaching you know, what, what, what are the things that you find are fundamental and crucial in, in the way that you work and, you know, what maybe some of the influences have, have kind of brought that about? Yeah, yeah, no, and that's that's something I think we need to keep revisiting all the time and, and my own philosophy is probably one I've revisited recently that I'll, I'll come on to, but to, just to touch on your last point around fun, you know, I think a lot of us have to revisit our definition of fun and I've probably did this recently, so it's probably just to share something that I found useful as well because I had lots of shooting drills and games and, um, practices that you know I always thought were fun maybe when I played or, or maybe when I coached five six years ago um, but it's, I think it's really beneficial just to revisit you know what actually is fun particularly for the younger generations you know and can we actually maybe just like pull out our smartphones if we have permission and, and record the session and watch it back and say like is this actually really good fun because a lot of us um, probably myself included at times we, we preach fun but I'm just worried sometimes when I see some of my I have a role as a coach educator, so I go out there and I help a lot of the volunteer and newer coaches, and, and these are the good guys in the game because 
they're actually asking me to come along and help. So I'm by no means having a go at them here, but they say, yeah, most important thing is fun. And then I'll pull out my smartphone, I'll take a wee video and say, right, is this fun for a 10 year old? Um, trying to help them. Again, I don't try and talk down to any coaches and they, they have to revisit that idea of, of fun because we're competing with a lot of fun in the home environment. Um, you know, being able to watch your favorite TV show anytime you want on Netflix or, or YouTube, being able to phone your friend and see them on a screen anytime you want. These are things we would have loved when we were younger. You know, games that are multi-directional, pick the characters, you know, design the this whatever they're wearing, design the vehicle, the method of transport, and go on social media, turn yourself into a celebrity. There's loads of fun in the house. So if they come to our football training and Session's a bit dated, a wee bit over-prescripted, you know, pass there, move there. Um, we need to realise that what kids find, and I'm going to talk a lot about kids now because that's where scoreboard soccer mainly uh, falls in, where, where kids find most fun is in ownership. You know, they want to be um, they, they want to be in charge of their own destiny. Now, perhaps when we were younger, Yaz, in the house, there's three or four channels, someone else picked what was on them, couldn't use the house phone if my mum or dad were on the internet, we didn't have a lot of ownership in the house, so we got it in the street. We would go out and no adults there. We could design games. We could play games. We could throw the jumpers down. We could make up our own rules. We could decide when we wanted to take a break, you know, play a game, kick about for five, ten minutes, play a different game, just chill out. It's kind of reverse now. Uh, and the fun stuff sometimes is actually in the house and the over-prescribed, um, you know, parent or adult or, or, or some sort of, adult figure taking control was maybe outside so I talk a lot to coaches about yeah like how can we make this really good fun how can we give them the game back do they actually just want to do a wee bit of free play if they come up and ask you for their favorite drill why would you turn around and say no oh no that's not what we're working on today but you told me that it's all about fun why do you not just say yes you know and when when Jamie comes over and says can I go and say this team tonight why not just say yes you know um so I think revisiting the idea of uh of fun um is really really crucial uh, and then, yeah, we we're going to come on to philosophy as well. And yeah, fun's a big part of my philosophy. Making sure the fun is um, defined by the players uh, as well. You know, just because I know a really fun drill doesn't mean the six-year-olds are going to find it fun and the 14-year-olds are going to find it fun. Um, I guess my philosophy is meeting players where, they, where they're at. You know, where, where are they at? Um, what is the outcome of this group? And how can I design things to help them achieve that? Um so, you know, I've got a bit of a side story when I, I first went over and coached in America, uh, got an email from a, a dad whose son uh, was in a team, four or five of them went to the local kind of academy or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and his son was left with a couple of friends, their team was going to fold, they, 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 you know, they were going to lose soccer. So all of a sudden the outcome is meeting those players where they are, can we get a team together, can we enjoy it and can we keep them playing football? And maybe when you achieve that outcome, you can look at the next one. Um, you, you you put on a session with three, four and five year olds the ultimate outcome is where they are in their journey, can they come back next week, if they come back next week you've done your job make it fun it's fine to use your hands, hand-eye coordination is important, bouncing, rolling, catching the ball, loads of free play, meet them where they are and then if you're fortunate enough and I have been fortunate enough to work with some, some professional clubs here in, in Scotland um, okay can we win this game at the weekend, okay so how do we do that that's what motivates my players Therefore, that's what motivates me. Um, you go and work, walk with the walk in football, um, you know, elderly uh, men and women. Um, okay, what's the outcome? Uh, Socialise, fun. Okay, maybe we need to open up the cafe then so they can have a tea and a coffee and have a chat. Um, that, that's, so, so my philosophy is probably meet them, meet them where, where they're at in the journey 
And now that I'm mindful of that, I think my coaches came on a lot because of it. Because um, I used to be as guilty as anyone of um, not meeting the players where they're at. So I've got seven, eight, nine-year-olds and I've planned, I don't know, playing out from the back, switching play, trying to get them to keep in their positions. It's not where they're at uh, in, in the journey. Um, so, yeah, um, just kind of sharing that joy of football and, and meeting players where they're at in the journey is what, what I talk about quite a lot. I, th- I think it makes some great points there. And I think, you know, the, if we go go back a couple of minutes, you know, you talked there about it might be fun for me, but is it fun for the six-year-old? Is it fun for the 14-year-old? Um, and these are some of the questions I guess you essentially want the coaches to start to think about, really. Um, but, you know, and I think I think for me, it's really, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because one of the things, certainly in the way that I work, is even the example that you gave, player comes up, says, right, can I do this session today? Can we do this today? Yeah, fine. Um, we, we can, or we probably, probably will, um, but I know that I'm now able to do that within my own work because the way in which I've designed my practices are aimed at developing multifunctional outcomes. So if mm-hmm. it is a practice, it's a practice, it's not, an, it's not a, a finishing practice specifically or a passing practice or a dribbling practice it's a practice which allows for multiple outcomes um and i guess for me what that really allowed me to do was actually rather than coming up with all these new practices every other week actually you know get the players to learn the practices i've developed for them and allow there to be be flexible outcomes within the practice. And if the the players then come back to say, yes, can we do this one? Can we do this? Yeah, no problem. Because I know that in the way that I've designed the practice, I can probably still get the intended outcomes that I'm looking for for myself, as well as them engaging with the practice ultimately because they find it enjoyable. And I know the way that as soon as they come to me and say to me, yes, can we do this? I've already got their buy-in. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I don't have to teach them the practice again. I don't have to tell them anything different. The mechanics of what we're doing is still the same. We're just going to shed the light on a different part of it, if you like. Yeah. And I guess one of the things I definitely picked up over the years was that where most of my experience predominantly has been kind of that 14 to kind of 21 age range, I used to think that initially the practices which I've designed were probably just only going to be really suited and beneficial towards them. But then mm-hmm. I started utilising the same practices with younger players and what I eventually realised actually the things that keep it fun for the players, regardless of what age group there is, is just that element of competition and that realism in, in the practice. And as yeah. long as you can do or provide those two things, in, mm-hmm. in my opinion, then you're, you're onto a winner anyway. Yeah. No, I totally, uh, I totally agree. And again, it's about meeting them where they're at and the outcomes of the the overall uh, group or session because there'll be coaches that are listening that are like, well, if my players come up and say, can we do this? I'm, of course I'm going to say no because we've got a game at the weekend and, you know, this and whatever. Um, but if I'm taking a session where football is actually the vehicle to um, help teach transferable skills such as communication, confidence, uh, approachability, if a young player comes up to me and uses their voice and voices opinion, you know, we're not actually enjoying this drill. Can we do that one from last week? Then... I'm loving it because that's not having a go at my coaching. That's actually achieving the outcomes of the group. You know, I, I think we need to, um, again, we need to know our outcomes of the group. They need to be realistic, meet the players where they are. Um, and then we need to uh, put things in place to uh, achieve them. And, and I think as coaches, there's a lot of programmes out there, um, uh, a lot of uh, environments where we probably need to build in more transferable skills, not just passing, dribbling and shooting, but teamwork, resilience, 
Um, you know, we have loads of issues in society today, uh, unfortunately. And if we're working with uh, particularly young people, but I guess any age group, if we see them two or three times a week, potentially over the next two or three years, what an opportunity we have um, to, to teach them as people, not just as players. You know, there's massive issues around homophobia, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, loads and loads of different things. You know, we have almost a duty of care, not just to be teaching them about passing, dribbling and shooting. And the funny thing, and you may have an opinion on this as well, yeah, is the funny thing I've found is I think my coaching has got better since I've started to invest in, in them as people. You know, when I'm trying to help them and I'm trying to, point out what I believe is, you know, right and wrong. And, you know, can we use football to work on this today? And actually, David, you're going to lead the session and Jamie, you're going to be the captain. So, you know, what do you think about this session, Rebecca? Do you want to move on or do you want to keep playing this game? Um, Investing them as people, I'm getting more from them as players. And that was one of these kind of light bulb moments for me when, you know, if you watch a documentary or read a book on Alex Ferguson, the ex-players are not saying, oh, his shooting drills were fantastic. You know, I loved his passing drills. It was his investment in them as people and he knew like their parents' names and what school they went to and he had a genuine care if they were enjoying the session, if they were comfortable in, you know, Manchester or Aberdeen or wherever it was. Um, and yeah, we talk about, you know, philosophies or, or anything like that, kind of mantras. Um, that's probably one that I've also been really mindful of recently that they're not players in front of you, they're people, you know, before they're, before they're players and particularly at the younger age groups. Yes, develop them as, as as people, but so many of them need developed as players as well before they actually are seen as a team. Uh, and I think that's a real barrier to a lot of coaches achieving their, their ultimate outcome because they have a load of eight or nine-year-olds in front of them. Um, but then the structure of football was telling them that they need to play 5v5 or 7v7 at the weekend. And I can say from experience, you know, my dad, volunteer coach, if you give him uh, seven players in, in blue against seven players in red, that's no team against team and winning's going to come to the surface and probably positions and all the stuff that comes from the, the TV and the culture around professional football is going to come out. But actually your job is to make those seven players better as individuals first. Um, so that's that's a real, real challenge. Like a lot of people use um, their game day to influence their training. Um, but really, I think the training will influence the game day. You know, make them all individually better. It's very hard to build the foundations. And I know I'm going off on a bit of a, a tangent here, uh, Yaz, but it's very hard to build the foundations on the young players. Um, like how you pass and move and win a game of seven aside and keep your positions at seven aside when you've not actually built the, the, the cornerstones of, you know, physical literacy. Can they change direction, accelerate, decelerate, run backwards, run forwards, jog, sprint, um, you know, all these kind of fine motor skills. Because the first thing they need to do is master the body. Then they need to master the ball. Um, and that's dribbling, ball mastery, ball at the feet, keeping up, passing off a wall. But unfortunately, there's still a lot of coaches before they can master the body, master the ball, they're talking about passing, you know, which is so trendy because some of the best teams in the world do it. But so many of our younger players are not there yet. And whether the kids verbalise or not, they're probably subconsciously thinking, coach keeps telling me to pass. Why are they pass to that, that player who can't manipulate it and pass it back to me? They're just going to give it away. So, I, I, I totally agree with you on that last point. And I think I think it's so important for it, for me. You know, when I'm working, when I do work with younger players, especially you know six, seven, eight, nine, ten, even, I don't even encourage them to pass the ball. Yeah, honestly, I don't mind if they don't pass the ball. In fact, what I try and do, if, especially when it comes to training in particular, I try and stick to maybe small sided games so they get in more contact on the ball there. Or even if I just keep them one v one situation. A lot of people talk about being able to master the ball at a younger age and. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of unopposed unopposed work at all. So I would just throw them straight away straight away into one v one situations and just you know put 
put some constraints on it that will allow them to flex and vary their approaches to what they're doing. Um, but yeah, and I think I think um, you know England in particular are doing some great work around getting more creative players. And, and Pete Sturgis is someone I follow almost religiously. You know his work is his work is fantastic. And you know again I'm wanting to share a wee bit of experience during this chat. And, and when I go out to Again, those volunteer coaches who are the, the great lifeblood of the game because they've literally written to me and said, can you come up and help me? You know, they, they want to get better. And um, they're talking about trying to make the team better. Um, and there's this one player who's a little bit more advanced than the other boys and girls uh, and can do this and other things. Sometimes I try and paint the picture of, right, your job is not to get him or her to pass more. Your job's trying to make the other ones as good as that. Because, you you, you know, I've got 16 years experience working in three different countries, loads of different programs, um, which I'm, you know, really proud of the hard work I've put in. So I hope I don't, you know, sound big-headed there. But when I first started, I was the same as this coach in front of me. When I, I worked with one team, the best player on the team I thought was the best player in the world, uh, and the weakest player I thought was maybe the weakest player in the world. And when you kind of go to them and say, see that player you think is really, really good, uh, yes, they are, and they've got some potential, but that's not unique. You know, there's players in other towns and other villages and all over the country that are, that are just as good. And actually, if you focus on my ball, my body, you can get your players quite close to that without without pulling them down. It's actually you want to drag the other players up, you know, loads of stuff, a ball each, um, because you've got a duty of development to that player who maybe is a bit of advanced with, with their, their foot skills or dribbling. You know, we know the players that I'm, I'm talking about here, you know, and if, if you have a player like that that can take on three or four players, your job as a coach is to make them take on five or six. Not to tell them they have to play two touch or they have to pass the ball. You know, that could be the next George Best, Johan Cruyff, Leo Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, Neymar. We could reel off all these creative, wonderful, wonderful players. Um, and, and you want to try and bring them up. And I, I tell the story quite a lot on my coach education of um, a volunteer coach asked me to come out, watch a session, help them out. I always pick up the phone and say, you know, how much space have you got? How much equipment? How many players are you expecting? And uh, is there anything you want me to help you with specifically? And one coach told me I've got this young uh, male player, this young lad who just does not uh, pass the ball. I just can't get him to pass the ball. He just dribbles and can't get him to pass the ball. If, you know, anything you can help with would be great. And, you know, I went and watched a session and I just fed back. You've got one player that doesn't dribble, but you've got 12 players that don't pass. Sorry, other way around. You've got 12 players that don't dribble. You know, one player who doesn't pass, 12 players that don't dribble. And I'm like, that's the bigger issue. You know, um, try and raise them all up to, 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 to be similar to that player. And then when they can all master the ball, you'll be a lot less frustrated as a coach when you try and do things that need a level of technical proficiency. Rondos, passing and moving, playing out from the back. It comes back to what we were saying a, a minute ago, Yaz, that you, know, you need to build those, those foundations um, before you can actually start to build on top of it. I 100% agree with you. And I think one of the, the key things that I've started doing more specifically in the recent years anyway is rather than deciding what the outcomes are specifically going to be based on my own perspective, I often ask the players now, well, how do you add value to what you're doing? Yeah, and that's why I think a games-based approach, which we're talking about now, has been been fantastic. And we could go into loads of reasons, but one of the main things for me is a lot of coaches have predetermined ideas of what the players need to work on. And I'm saying you've not even seen them play yet. You've not even seen them play. Like, let's get them into small-sided games, 1v1s, as you say, 2v2s, 3v3s, whatever it might be. And let's see what they actually need to work on. Because the things Yaz might need to work on might not be the same as things David needs to work on. Yeah. We, we, and for some programmes, again, meet players where they are. And there are some programmes out there that need the, the, the predetermined ideas. But there's loads that, you know, I've got 12, 10-year-old boys. I'm going to work on passing on the inside of the foot. 
you know, five of them are ready for that, five of them aren't ready for it, two of them don't know where that is, you know, and, and then the real dangerous thing in the world we're living in is you'll put that session on social media and someone in New Zealand would pull it off and think every 12-year-old boy in the world is, is the same and they all need to work on the same thing. So, yeah, uh, we, we need to see them playing. And I think this comes from, uh, and, and, and you might be of a, a similar generation to me, as where we played loads of football on the street and that was part of the culture, part of the environment. So coaches were probably quite comfortable that when their players came along on a Tuesday and Thursday night, they had a strong foundation of playing football. So we can build on top of that. You know, we can we can do let's all work on passing on the inside of the foot or striking the ball with the laces or using a weaker foot because you could almost uh, what's the word you could almost guesstimate where everyone was on their on their say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill journey and um, the, the the world we were living in meant that we had fine motor skills through uh throwing rocks uh, climbing trees fighting over sticks wrestling in the backyard we didn't have anything else to do that kind of stuff and we had a strong foundation of playing football in the playground before school after school come along this tuesday thursday night those foundations are built we can make you better players but now the kids are coming along without a foundation of street football without a foundation of you know, the playground environment of just playing and climbing trees and building things and, you know, building their coordination and their um, agility and their balance and, and their, their finer motor skills. And the coaches are maybe still trying to do the same thing. Um, some of them, and the, the, these are the ones we're going to address because, you know, we're on a, a webinar here to try and, a, a podcast here to try and help them. But there's so many of them out there that are doing, you know, great stuff. Which is good to see. I think for me, and, and you make a great point, obviously, you know, from, from our generation, we were able to do those things. And obviously those things are not yeah. really, um, accessible as often as they were, uh, certainly not in the same ways they were anyway, um, yeah. for different reasons. And I think what, you know, the question that kind of really jumps out at me then is um, just how important is it now more so than ever that the coaches do, have, uh, especially at the foundation stages, or you know, and when I say foundation stages, I don't mean specifically working with young players, but regardless of what level the players are at, you know, what age the players are if they're if they're new to the game or they're new players, yeah. how important is it um, for them to have a good technical understanding of the game? Because now, in my own opinion, um, similar to yourself, you know, I've been doing coach education for a few years as well, and for me, there's the, the level in terms of um, understanding of the technical aspects of the game, in my opinion has dropped massively in recent years Um, and people are getting away with um, saying, yeah, I'm going to let the game be the teacher. For me, it's nonsense in my opinion uh, because the game will facilitate what it will facilitate, but actually the learning is, is, is led and directed by the individual. It's not the coach or whoever that might be. And, you know, you can't just let the game be a teacher. You know, I was having this conversation with someone the other day. They said, yeah, but we used to just play out on the streets. Yeah, we did used to play out on the streets. But I'll tell you one thing is you only developed an understanding and developed and you started learning things because you started reflecting on what was working for you and what wasn't working for you. Now, if the young players don't know that they need to be doing that or they yeah. don't know what they need to then potentially pay attention to to understand what is working and what could yeah. be different and what, what the... Ch- 
not even just what is working, but why it's working. What is the problem they've got in front of them? So rather than just assume it's just a 1v1 situation, like, okay, well, well, let's just look at the finer specifics of that then. You know, is it a 1v1 where actually I'm coming up against Dave and Dave's actually five yards from me? That's why my skill didn't work, as an example. Oh, actually, I need Dave to be within two yards of me for it to actually be a real impact. Yep. And, you know, and, that, and that's... Yeah, that, that's a big part of the let the game be the teachers, how sometimes misconstrued it is, because you can let the game be the facilitator of practice. You know, you can put it in there to, to practice. It's very hard to design something that brings all the outcomes a game does, you know, passing, dribbling, shooting, rebounds, transitions. But one of the stuff, um, and we spoke about Pete Sturgis, who if any of your listeners don't know Pete, like, um, oh, amazing, and, and need to check out the stuff. Um, a, a big thing he talks about often, and hopefully doesn't mind me, and I'm, hopefully I'm not misquoting him here, is, let the game be the teacher is um, designing a game that has an, an outcome designed in it. We spoke about the outcomes of our programs, our teams, and knowing what we're trying to achieve before we meet them where they are and help them achieve that. So Pete Sturgis, and I'm sure a lot of his colleagues, and you know some of them better than me, he has, but we've designed games with an outcome in it. So there's some good ones on social media right now around pressing and intercepting and moving the ball quickly and scanning. Um, so that's what, in my opinion, and we'll all have our own ways of taking it, that's what Let the Game Be the Teacher is all about. Okay, I want to I wanna have the ultimate outcome of scanning today. So how do I design a game where that outcome is going to come to the, 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 the forefront? I did one on, um, on, on on Friday night there. We did a couple of drills and a couple of things on scanning. So when we went into the game at the end, you know, no bibs, which is a real basic constraint. Um, it's 5v5, no bibs, stress on all the things we'd work on about scanning, communicating, giving a little bit of information and these kind of stuff. So the game can be a great teacher, but it's how you design it to, 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 to be a good teacher. And, and, you know, scoreboard soccer, which of course we can, can talk about or, or your listeners can just have a look. Um, that's a big thing for me, like, because I do think that let the game be the teacher slash let them play drive was a little bit misinterpreted where what you had was a lot of uh, coaches probably guilty of this myself, you know, thinking, oh, okay, so we'll just put them into 5v5, 6v6, and we'll just let them play. Now, what I found, you know, doing that out in the coalface, working with grassroots players, put them into 5v5, there is loads of benefits, uh, loads and loads of benefits of just playing football, but there is quite a few barriers to development as well. That young player who does get all the touches of the ball, uh, those couple of players that are a bit disengaged, those couple of players that haven't even decided if they like football yet, you know, they, they, they probably need a wee bit more of a, uh, a fun environment so and you may have seen some of the stuff on, on online uh, yes but if I can just talk about the intervention scoreboard soccer gives so we'll set up 3v3s maybe have two or three 3v3s running but then we'll put uh, next to the pitches a visual scoreboard because kids and people who play football by nature are competitive and when they can actually see the scoreline uh, it's so motivational for them to work hard so what we get is Jamie's that young player who is maybe a little bit more advanced. That might just be because, you know, he's gone through puberty quicker or he's played football for five more years than the rest of the group. Um, he dribbles by two, three, four players, he scores a goal. Now, the way I wouldn't do it, and we've already touched on this, is tell Jamie, you need to play two touch, you need to pass the ball. That's a great thing if you can dribble through players. I'm not going to, uh, you know, look at that as a bad thing. I'm going to reward that. But I have got a duty of development to the other players on the pitch. So how do I do this? So what I've started to, to do, and as I say, I've did this for five, six, uh, seven years, I'll say, Jamie, great dribble, great goal, come and put a point on the scoreboard. So some of the scoreboards we have is 
volcanoes against spaceships. If he's in the volcanoes, he'll you know flip one the right way up. If he's in the spaceships, he'll put one out down. X and O's uh, connect for um, all these kind of fun, the Rubik's cube, all these kind of fun ones. Um, it might just be as simple as if he's got a red bib on and he's played against the blue bibs, he comes over and he puts a bib next to a red cone to show that he's got a point. But anyway, you're saying, Jamie, great dribble, come to the scoreboard, shows that you've got that point. He comes over, big smile on his face, knows he's did something well, gets back on the pitch. And the environment is, um, you know, I've created that environment where he probably doesn't even realise the fact that we're just getting others to, 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 to share the ball. And that's what scoreboard soccer is all about. And um, the game's the, the teacher because the players are constantly exposed to one minute is 3v3, then it's 3v2, now it's 2v3. You might be calling players off to manipulate the environment. So um, if Jamie is doing really well, you maybe call his two teammates off to come to the scoreboard. And now Jamie's one against three. So he gets a little bit of a challenge where the, the three players get a wee bit supported. So, yeah, I, obviously I post a lot of stuff on social media and I can, I can direct people to scoreboardsoccer.com to see all these games. But it's just about letting them play. So, yeah, we're playing 3v3s or 4v4s but catch them doing good. So I've given you the example there of praising Jamie for a good dribble and a good goal. Uh, if Yaz passes with inside of the foot, and that's something I've been working on Yaz with, come to the scoreboard. If Sarah communicates, come to the scoreboard. You know, and I can tell you from experience, the second you say, Sarah, great communication, come to the scoreboard, the rest of the group. Or it's just about highlighting, calling out, rewarding these positive behaviours so they become, uh, they become habits. But it's a really, really individualised programme because we're playing small-sided games, the outcomes are all different because the things I would praise Jamie for are maybe not the same. You know, um, Jessica might be coming along for the very first time and actually just when she touches the ball, Jessica, I love it. You're trying to get involved. You know, come to the scoreboard. She's more motivated to try and get involved and that's how she's going to be part of it and, and learn throughout her journey. 100%. I think it is, there's, there's some great stuff in there. I think first and foremost is, you know, highlighting that actually catching them when they're doing it good is a great way to look at it. And I think it's traditionally... Um, not just coaches, but even observers, parents, you know, support networks, or however you wish to, you know, kind of look at them. The the, the perception is a coach should only get involved when it's not going quite right. And I think yeah. for a lot of coaches in their infancy, they're probably they're, they're probably more focused on right where do I need to make corrections rather than where can I enforce praise. Um, and it's actually you know like you said you know trying you're trying to create habits through praise, and then they, and I think the saying goes you know what gets what gets praised gets repeated, or what gets rewarded gets repeated, rather. Um, yes. But you know, even 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 to kind of just tell back into you know, you, you talked to him about Pete Sturgeon and some fantastic work. I remember when I did the Advanced Youth Award with um, with the FA, and you know, Pete was one of the one of the um, tutors on the course. Some great insights, and even even you know, even having him on the podcast as well. So you know, if anyone wants to check that one out, it's episode forty six. Um, definitely go and check that one out. You know, some fantastic um, ideas on that one. Just coming back to that piece there, where you're pulling out Jamie now, or whoever it may be. Do you ever get to a point that obviously we see Jamie? You know, he's dribbling through all the players. Fantastic. We don't want to kill that. We don't want to. We don't want to remove that attitude and that approach and that ambition to just want to take players on because that you know that's something that we can't really teach. It's, yeah. it's innate. It's innate. It's innate within players, I believe. Um, however, do you ever have that conversation of, right? I love the way you did that, but can you be more? You know, maybe delve a little bit deeper in terms of when and where it might be best to stick to doing that option, 
Yeah, and that's where the that's where the element of praise comes. And 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 we were speaking earlier about how I just I just love football. When I, I actually I didn't have a very positive experience as a player. I thought I was kind of overcoached and stood behind a cone a lot and ran around the pitch. And I want to give young players a, a better experience. So I love working with all different age groups, all different genders, all different outcomes. But I'm probably starting to realise that my, my 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 passion and probably my strengths are within the younger players. Um, and what you're maybe touching on there, Yaz, is like really high-level coaching, really high-level teaching, like maybe a Pete Sturgis can do it or some of these fantastic educators out there. But I'm actually finding that the scoreboard soccer concept and a couple of other fun games-based, you know, um, give them ownership is better coach than I ever kind of could be. So, you know, I can maybe design something that shows that young player, if we, if we use Jamie as an example, and um, when and where to do this. And But then the thing is, like, is my information actually even correct? You know, I never became a pro footballer. Like, uh, 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 am, am I am I actually giving wrong information? Is Jamie only ever going to grow up to be as good as me when really I want him to surpass me? So the thing about the praise thing is, Jamie, great dribble, whatever. But I can maybe drip feed into Jamie that, okay, you tried to take on five players there. They won the ball. And actually, if you had a little scan, um, you know, Frank was open there. So if you scan next time and play that pass, you're going to get rewarded for that. So where I might be working on Jamie to pass the ball and release it a little bit more, I might be working on Frank to dribble and take on a wee bit more. And one thing I talk about in scoreboard soccer, and, and this is why there's a whole educational piece around it, um, because it's a simple concept that, that goes arms and legs, is um, praise the process and encourage effort. And this might just be me as a coach. Your, your coach's assistant might use it for a different way, but... Um, if I've been working on Jamie on passing the ball a little bit more and he tries to pass, if that pass gets intercepted, I'm still saying, Jamie, I love the fact you tried to pass, come to the scoreboard and he'll repeat the behaviour and he'll get better at it. If I've been working on Heller to shoot the ball more and she shoots and it goes over the crossbar, Heller, I love that, come over. And, and you know, effort over outcome. I actually don't care where the ball goes, if they make the tackle, if the shot's on target. I just praise the effort to do it because young players need to know that effort is what we value Effort's what they're going to keep giving them. And again, I can tell you from experience of using this method for five or six years, I can see my players getting better because they just yeah. keep trying so hard and, and, and that's how they improve. I, I think certainly one thing that I can you know, anticipate will definitely be happening as sort of working in that way is you probably develop more confident um, players in terms of just them being able to express themselves and yeah. being creative and trying things. I guess yeah, you know, the perspective that I'll be coming from more, more specifically is, right, we've got this player who can actually do these sets of skills or these 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 you know produce these outcomes? But we're going to praise the effort. We're going to praise the idea, but actually maybe give them a bit more detail around the specificity of when and where. Only because actually by doing that, we can not directly give them instruction in in, in every sense. In the sense of right, I want you to do this there. I want you to do this. No, it's not about that. Actually, I want you to pay attention. You let me know. Right, what would as an example, and if I'm working with Jamie, Jamie's dribbled past three or four players. Um, well done, Jamie. I love the way you did that. I love the way that you you, know, you checked your shoulder before you received the ball and you were able to drop your shoulder. Or, or, you know, or give him all the little praise that he, he, might, he might deserve in that moment. But then I might throw in a question for him. And the question might be, yeah. no right or wrong answer here. And this is coming back to the point that you made, because, you know, it's, it's not to say, you know, I, I didn't make it as a pro player. You didn't make it as a pro player. So, you know, it, the argument is always going to be, well, how, how valuable is your information? Well, it's not about how valuable the information is for me. It's more, right, how much attention is the is the player make, paying to maybe the final things that might change the success yeah. of the game? So in this case, it might be, right, Jane, you've taken on those three players. Can you just maybe share with me something that, that if that wasn't the, 
there or if that was slightly different that you that it would have impacted on your ability to change the three players now that's not to say i need an answer here and now yes i want you to ponder on yeah, uh, no, and I think that's um, so a big part of scoreboard soccer. We talk about coach what you see, and we touched on this, all these predetermined ideals, but you're now creating an environment where you're coaching individuals because when you see something you want to praise, you're, 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 you're highlighting it, and then they'll keep giving you that. But then within the environment, so for me, scoreboard soccer works on a couple of different levels. If you're a volunteer, mum or dad, who's only started to coach the under-10s because your son or daughter's in them, set up small-sided games, catch them doing good. Make sure you've got a really fun, engaging scoreboard. That might be as simple as the water bottle flip challenge. You know, the kids love that scoreboard. They come over, they try and flip the water bottle. If it lands right way up, that's a, a goal to their team that you can add to the scoreline in the game, or you can just do the scoreline at the scoreboard. That That's that level there. Uh, if you're like, you know, ourselves, and you've coached for many years, and you have loads of experience, and you can coach within it, um, now your eye becomes a coach. So Jamie comes to the scoreboard. It's four against three, momentary overload. Um, the, the team of four, they bomb forward, all four of them, they lose the ball, the team of three pass it to Jamie on his way back from the scoreboard, he turns and he scores. Now, I think, you know, you've got two eyes, one mouth, you watch that, you back that, you use your observation skills and you say, well, there's the problem, here's the environment, go and solve it. Don't, don't highlight it the first time, in my opinion. They do it again, third time they fix the problem, you're the best coach in the world without saying anything because the environment you've created has made them get better in 4v3 counter-attacking um, or attacking overloads, whatever it might be. But then um, if they make the mistake the fourth time, third or fourth time, right, guys, hold it there a wee second. Just like you're saying there, yes, you know, a bit of guided discovery. Right, what's happening? Oh, well, they keep winning the ball and just passing it to the guy or girl coming back from the scoreboard. Okay, what, what might you do next time? Well, I guess three of us could attack. One of us could sit back, give a little bit of balance. If it's not on, we can switch the play through that player, maybe even cut back for them to score. But at least they're they're scanning, watching the counter attack, watching the, the the guy or girl come back from the scoreboard. Right, great, go and try that then. And you might paint the picture for them and, and might walk them through that kind of stuff. Um, and that's what it gives you as a, a qualified, experienced coach. Um, but sometimes when I give out scoreboard soccer to coaches, I probably won't go into that level of detail because you'd maybe worry about how it, how it gets delivered. Um, but you see it as well where. The group of three who should be focusing on, you know, delaying the attack, slowing down the four against three until their teammate makes a recovery run. They won't even realise that they're a player down and they'll all dive in and they'll just get picked off one by one and play. Right. Happens a third or a fourth time. OK, guys, what's happening? Oh, well, we're a player down because Rebecca's at a scoreboard. OK, so what may you do next time? Oh, well, I guess we could get narrow, compact, get behind the ball and just try and slow the attack down. Great. Let's go and try that. So no, you, you've made a great point about that kind of guided learning within the environment. Yeah, I think I think for me it was more more just highlighting it's like you know I think the the idea that you're you, you know the concept of the scoreboard soccer I think it, it, it's great but I think you know really we're both here to you know uh, hopefully learn from one another and obviously hopefully support others in, in educating other coaches that might be tuning into this if if, if at all possible and I think yeah. for me talk there about you know that's high level coaching yeah you, you, it, it could be considered high level coaching. But is there anything wrong with maybe not necessarily setting an expectation, but maybe challenging coaches earlier on in their journeys to become a higher level coaches and be able to produce on those things? Because that that might be the difference from turning Jamie from where he's at now to the next level, or it could even extend yeah. further. And actually, then those twelve players that don't know how to pass now could be the twelve players that now know how to pass because the coach is able to adapt and flex their with their approaches to be able to in, in, implement it a style like this, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a great point. And I guess it's just uh, meeting the coaches where they are in their journey as well because the scoreboard soccer book, and I don't want to feel as if I'm just pushing the book on everyone, but I'll take them on their journey. So, you know, um, set up, catch them doing good. Uh, but then there's a section on coaching overloads and underloads. And yeah, of course, we're, we're here to try and uh, educate coaches where they are because, and this is just me coming from, I, I think what you guys refer to themselves, mainly the, the, the foundation age with the younger players. I actually want to take them on a journey where, if you can get these things from the book, then great. Um, players that are technically more proficient um, and they're quick problem solvers and decision makers because of the environment of, of, of scoreboard soccer. Um, and that's and then they also understand the football fundamentals, which is maybe Scottish terminology, I'm not sure, but when they recognise an overload, make the pitch big, length, width, depth, play at pace. Uh, when they recognise that they're outnumbered, narrow, compact, behind the ball, maybe show one way, press, and that transition between the, the the two areas. And then for me, I probably need to hold my hand up that if I can take young players on a journey where technically proficient, really good decision makers and understand in possession, out possession, transition, I'm probably ready to move them on to someone who knows more than me. I'm probably not that coach that's going to show them how to, you know, play out of a high press, a 4-3-3, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think meeting the coaches where they are is a big part of it as well. I, th- I think I can have a spot, a spot on way to put it. And I think within that, I guess the challenge that I throw to coaches out there, you know, if you believe that you're that coach who's only going to take them to this point, what are you doing to make yourself more, yeah. be able to take them to a little bit further, if you like, you know, and hopefully through listening to conversations like this and, you know, just picking up on the little bits and actually not just taking on board the information, but actually then applying it and then coming back and saying, right, actually, no, that actually worked for me. And really yeah. important to stress and, you know, highlight that not every bit of information you're going to get is going to work for you in your environments. And it comes back to the point that you was making earlier, Dave, about, you know, I could put on a session and someone from New Zealand has now seen it and said, right, I'm going to go and take that session. You know, and I refer to those people as YouTube coaches where they literally just go yeah. and make someone's session, have no context, no understanding as to what put the, what the mechanics were but in terms of putting the practice together, why the coaches even delivered it in a certain way, why the coaching points are the coaching points and have there's, there's literally no context. Yeah, I... Uh... So sometimes I get a little bit of negative feedback on social media because I very rarely share anything that's uh, area sizes or coaching points because who am I to say what area sizes work for your players? And again, coach what you, you see. We can't have these predetermined coaching points copy and pasted that are just they're just not relevant. Um, and, and yeah, the, the point I was going to make about the journey of the book as well is I want to take them on these journeys that they try some of my scoreboard soccer games Coaches can then design their scoreboard games because coaches out there are designing ones that are so much better than mine. But then the kids can as well. And it kind of takes us full circle to our, our talk about uh, autonomy and player ownership and kids like to be in charge of their own destiny. So if they've actually designed the fun game at the scoreboard, then um, then they're really engaged to try and do something, you know, uh, to, to be sent there. Um, and the, the scoreboards as well, you can be quite clever with them because I, I hope no one's listening and thinking, Oh, I don't want to be a good player in your session because every time Jamie scores a goal, he gets he gets pulled off. You know, the, the scoreboards can be, you know, beat the goalie, crossbar challenge, uh, keep up is It can be something quite uh, technical and fun as well. Um, so to give you an example, one of the ones I do, you know, beat the goalie. So um, I'm lucky enough to have a, a goalie coach that will be working with the goalkeepers uh, and, and a goal just to the side. I'll say, right, Jamie, come across. Um, and if he scores a goal, that's a point to his team that he gets back on. Um, but what I'll do quite often when I see Jamie coming across, one of my better players who uh, I maybe want to keep off the pitch for a bit longer so the ball gets shared, I'll say, Jamie, keep shooting until you miss. So if you were to kind of watch my session from above, you know, from a drone or whatever, you'd have 
the majority of players are benefiting from a games-based approach. Um, it's a wee bit manipulated where there's now a 3v2 or whatever going on. Um, and Jamie is just smashing footballs in the second he misses gets back on the pitch. Whatever, if David comes across and he's one of maybe my weaker players who's not getting as many touches uh, in, in the game, David, keep shooting until you score. So again, from above, you just see this weaker player getting some individual uh, practice uh, as well. Um, and one of the questions I get quite a lot, and and again, I'll, I'll talk about the journey of the books on, scoreboard soccer is not the, the be-all and end-all. A big part of it is where you might find benefit in doing scoreboard soccer. So increased engagement, increased behaviour, uh, work with mixed ability levels. You know, they were all designed off of real challenges that real grassroots coaches have, because I was one of them and I, and I still am. Um, but also when not to use scoreboard soccer. So if you have younger players, four, five, six, maybe even seven-year-olds, if they're not ready for small-sided games, they're not ready for scoreboard soccer. So there's a, another curriculum in there called Storybook Soccer, which is all about spaceships and cars and planes and animals and how you engage young, young kids um, in football. Then we have scoreboard soccer, and then we have strategy soccer, because obviously you get to an age uh, where scoreboard soccer is maybe, maybe not for you. Um, having said that, I think some of the best scoreboard sessions I've seen are with adult players because you explain it to them and they just go. They, you know, they're really competitive. They, they know they love 4v4s and 5v5s. Um, they, they love a wee shot of a crossbar challenge. You know, if you see most coaches when the kids are getting a drink, they'll take a touch out their feet and they'll try and hit the crossbar. Um, so all, all I would say to any of your listeners that are considering scoreboard soccer but think their players might be a bit too old or advanced for it, do scoreboard soccer because small-sided games are great, especially for head and fitness, but just don't call it scoreboard soccer and make your scoreboards a little bit more serious. Not to say there's not a place for fun if you've had a bad defeat and you want to do something just to pick them up, but if I can give you a quick example of some of the scoreboards I do with older players, you know, if Yaz is my corner kick taker, I'll put Yaz at the corner with a bag of footballs and he's now the scoreboard. So the player who gets sent off, Yaz would deliver one in and I'll try and finish it for a point. You know, they're just a bit more serious. I'll line up a line of mannequins and you'll go in and, and hit a free kick and you need to do it tired and under pressure and quickly because you need to get back on because your team are a player down. So you quickly go, the free kick set up, you try and whip it around the, the, the wall and get back on there. Um, and this, this maybe comes into the, the, the coaching stuff as well. Yeah, as I'll bring my centre back out and I'll create a 10 by 10 uh, box area. My centre back's now the, the scoreboard. So when you get sent over there, you need to try and get through the area 1v1. Um, if he's unsuccessful, I'll say right before the next one comes over, you know, side on, on your toes, try not to dive in. You can do a bit of individual coaching at the scoreboard as well. Um, so, yeah, I went on a wee bit of a tangent there, sorry, but hopefully your coaches check out the concept and hopefully they can take something from it. No, definitely. I think, I think there's some great stuff in there, Dave, and I think the, the, the one thing that should be highlighted more than anything is that, you know, there's so many different approaches and so many ways to skin the cat, so to speak. Um, yeah. And it's just finding the right balance and finding the right tool for the right type of, for the right fixture if you like um at, at any given point but Dave you know it's, it's been really insightful to kind of really understand a little bit more about what you do and how you how this come about maybe just share a little bit of insight before we kind of wrap up on where people can get access to some of the content and even um, to the book itself yeah yeah and we've, we've spoke about a lot of uh, coaching things here so um I, I've had a method that I've used for years I still plan my sessions on pen and paper but if they work well you know, I'll animate them using tactical pad and I'll share them on social media. So everything I share on social media, uh, easy for me to access uh, again, but it's kind of tried and tested stuff. So uh, I'm on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Coach David Baird. Hopefully coaches can take some of this stuff I share and, and make it their own. Um, if anyone's interested in the scoreboard soccer, which is obviously just one of the ideas that I, that I have for, for coaching particularly younger players, 
just www.scoreboardsoccer.com. Uh, if you have your smartphone and you open up your browser and type in app.scoreboardsoccer.com, it will then give you a, a, a link just to download the app onto your phone, which is probably has most of the content is on the app, probably. Uh, and as I say, the book is for, for sale now. Uh, if you just type Scoreboard Soccer into to Google or buy it off Amazon or whatever, um, I'd love to hear coaches' feedback. Uh, just, yeah, let me know on social media what you think. Awesome. Dave, that's been really, really useful. I think for a lot of coaches, just to kind of even just to ponder on, if not uh, implement straight away. Um, but guys, you heard it there. Dave, um, you know, the book's out on Amazon. Get access to the app, download the app and get in touch with him on Instagram and Twitter. Um, do you want to just go over the, the, the handle again there, Dave? Yeah, at Coach David Bild. Awesome. So there you go. You guys have it there. Um, once you've heard this conversation with myself and Dave, please feel free to get in touch with both of us. Let us know your thoughts. If there's any questions that come off the back of it, we'll be glad to answer those as well. Dave, just want to say thank you again this evening. Um, really appreciate it, and I'm sure the listeners do too. Yeah, thanks a lot. Cheers. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on instagram at the coaches network or on twitter at the coaches net we look forward to hearing from you let us know what you thought about today's episode and until next time guys take care say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill at Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.